Welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work Live, a guide podcast. And today I am joined by an awesome, awesome guy, Demi, who is an investor at Next World Capital, an early stage venture capital firm based in San Francisco that invests in category defining enterprise tech companies like Zora, Gong.io, Headspin, to name a few. Before switching coast, Demi was a venture capitalist in New York, where he invested in a variety of categories, including enterprise tech, marketplaces, and healthcare. Prior to venture capital, he started his career at Goldman Sachs, advising some of the world's largest companies. Demi developed a passion for tech and entrepreneurship while he was a student at Johns Hopkins University, starting companies and making angel investments at an early age. Before college, Demi lived in Nigeria and Canada, spending much of his leisure to make time perfecting his soccer skills. And we'll probably dive in on that with him as well. And he plans to pick up the sport again one day. But till then, we'll make do with waking up before sunrise to watch his favorite teams. And, you know, today we're really going to be talking about tech, venture capital, as well as, you know, one of my favorite topics right now, software as a service. In I think a post COVID nineteen world, and without further ado, I want to check in on the community. You know, let me know where you're tuning in from. If you're tuning in right before I bring Demi on, let's show you some love. Where are you watching from? Nigeria, Canada, the UK? Let us know in the comments below. All right, let's check it out, y'all. So with that said, let me go ahead and bring my boy Demi on. What's up, Demi? Hey, Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, man. Good to, good to see you. <laughs> you too, man. How have you been hanging in there during COVID-19? Yeah, you know, I um, I kind of live in Oakland uh, in the Bay Area. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, and I actually, I just moved here about maybe 10 or so weeks ago. So unfortunately, six of those weeks have been spent sheltering in place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> I, I really got to know the neighborhood really well uh, yeah. as a result. So kind of you know, trying to trying to trying to take the silver lining from yeah. the entire experience. Uh, so it's been it's been good. I really like Oakland. Before that, I lived in in San Francisco, just yeah. across the Bay Bridge. So uh, I thought it was nice to just kind of check out different parts of the Bay Area and you know, kind of see what see what the rest of it has to offer. Dude, shout out to you, man. Let's show some love to the amazing community members of the Unleashing the Future of Work community who are showing up and showing out. Shout out to Rachel, who's tuning in. Hey, Rachel, how you doing? Shout out to Nyla, who's tuning in from Houston as well. And Rachel is tuning in from Dallas, D-Town in the house. I love that. Christina is tuning in from Philadelphia. And Nyla is in Texas as well. <laughs> I'm actually in Texas too, Nyla, so shout out to you. Nice. And Dami Lola <laughs> is tuning in from Houston. You know, so, you know, let's dive deep, Dami. You know, I would love for you, you know, uh, the community. Now, how did you get in tech? And, you know, how do you get a private equity, right? And the work that you're doing right now. Yeah, you know, for me, I, you know, I would say I was always interested in, in business and, you know, starting businesses. I, you know, I grew up in Nigeria and, um, you know, back then, you know, conglomerates are very popular. You know, the biggest kind of company was a company called Dangote, which is, you know, they do everything from sugar to flour to <laughs> cement, kind of very, very broad business. So I was always kind of excited by that idea. And, yeah. Uh, when I got to college, I started a company with a friend of mine, and um, it was in the process of starting that company that, you know, we're students, so we didn't have capital. So we, we started to look around for investors. 
And it was through that process that I learned about, um, you know, that I learned about venture capital uh, mm. to start with. And, uh, you know, I, I was really struck by the experience because we actually went down to, uh, to UPenn and we pitched a group of students uh, who were, you know, who had gotten capital from, you know, from a venture capital fund and were dispersing that capital to companies started by, you know, other undergraduates. And, you know, I really loved the idea and I, it really stuck with me and it was something that I definitely mm. wanted to uh, pursue. And so, you know, I kind of set off trying to just learn as much as I could about finance. Uh, I interned in investment banking. I did a little bit of investing in the stock market, uh, yeah. just trying to get as much experience as, as I could. And, you know, when I got to my senior year of college in my, my senior spring, like, you know, about this time, I, uh, I decided to make a trip out to San Francisco to just come to the Mecca of technology and, and yeah. just see, see if people would be interested in, in backing this idea of uh, raising a fund to invest in students from Johns Hopkins University, where I went to college. And the reason why I had this idea is because there, there's, you know, in, in Baltimore, where Johns Hopkins is is based, mm-hmm. there's very few, if any, venture capitalists. So, <laughs> it's <laughs> a dead man's <laughs> up. <laughs> exactly. So it would be, so be nice to have a little bit of capital to, to kind of spur these students on and encourage them to start, you know, companies that they're passionate about. And so, you know, I came to, to San Francisco in March of 2015 to do that. And I came back again in June of 2015, uh, where I interned at a venture capital fund called 500 Startups. Mm. And I think that's really where I cut the bug. I, I really enjoyed my experience working at 500 Startups. I was working with these 12 companies. They were all very early stage companies, you know, usually teams of two or three people trying to, you know, get a first version of the product out. Yeah. And uh, I was really, I mean, I was just amazed at how much grit and how much passion these people poured into the companies that they were building. And so um, I knew that I wanted to come back and, you know, come back and do something very similar to that mm-hmm. uh, for my, for in the early days of my career. Uh, but I, um, I too, I took a, I, there was in between coming back to venture capital, I ended up spending two years working in investment banking. So that's the time I spent at Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. uh, doing investment banking for uh, industrial companies. And the, the more time I spent with industrial companies, the more <laughs> the more I knew I wanted to go back to working with tech companies. So, uh, so really, you know, was was fortunate enough to to join a firm in New York called First Mark Capital, mm-hmm. uh, where I invested across different uh, categories like enterprise software, healthcare, ed tech, marketplaces. And um, through that process of just trying out different, you know, categories, I I realized I really loved enterprise software, and and mm-hmm. I wanted to come back to the Bay Area to invest in enterprise software. So, uh, you know, that's how I, I got into it. it was it all, it all started from starting a company and, and yeah, learning yeah. a little bit more about you know approaching investors, and that that took me on this journey that I'm on today. Man, that's that's it's crazy too because it seems as if like early on you really had that entrepreneurial vigor. So shout out to everyone that's tuning in. If you're an entrepreneur. On your entrepreneurial hustle, show some love in the comments. You know, and I think what's what's fascinating to me is like you had this entrepreneurial vigor and you realize, you know, there's this huge opportunity for me to go to the mecca of tech, being San Francisco, and you know, make something happen. You know, I wanna ask you, how did you because I think a lot of people, you know, they want to maybe get into private equity or they maybe want to get into tech. You know, how did you overcome the challenges and kind of like the knowledge gaps that comes with, you know, being a venture capitalist. Yeah, I think uh, honestly, I think I think the, the honest answer is you never do. I think every <laughs> day is every day is a is a day of learning. Um, you know, for me, you know, we we I started a venture capital fund, so mm-hmm. I you know to to go out and pitch a fund to other people, 
You, yeah. you have to understand how these funds work. You have to do a lot of research um, into the legal structures and, you know, and, you know, how you structure the fees and the carry and, 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 you know, what check sizes and your portfolio construction. So what check sizes mm. do you want to write? How many companies do you want to invest? You have to think all these things through. And so, you know, the process of starting that fund was a forcing, was a forcing function to understand the, the business model of venture capital. And so, you know, that, that enabled me to just have more knowledge about these uh, things than I, you know, ordinarily would have been interested in. And then the actual, the investing side is something totally different because now you're asking yourself, okay, with all these early stage companies, how do I actually assess, uh, you know, which ones I want to invest in and which ones I don't want to invest in, which is, uh, it is, it is, it's an art. And, you know, the more you yeah. do it, you know, hopefully the more, uh, the more patterns you see and, and, you know, can, can make better investments. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I've always invested in early stage with a little bit of uh, later stage investing, but mostly on the early stage side. Mm. And, you know, it always starts with the team and understanding mm. why this team is the best team to, uh, to, to, to lead this company and, and to build a company in this space or build this product. So there, there has to be strong, um, what people sometimes call founder market fit. Mm. Um, so, because if the, if the founder doesn't have the right background, uh, you know, which could be industry experience or personal experience, or just some other, there has to be some factor that, that shows that, okay, this person, you know, really is, you know, one of the people that can build this company and do it successfully. So it, it starts with the team. And then as a venture capitalist, we, you know, we seek to invest in, in big markets. The yeah. ultimate goal of any VC is to, you know, invest in a company that can be as big as Google or Facebook or Amazon or any yeah. of these large technology companies. And so the, the market size has to be large enough to support, you know, a big, a, a large company. And so, you know, we'll spend time thinking about, is this, you know, is this a hundred, is this a hundred million dollar market? Is this a, uh, you know, single digit billion dollar market? Is this a market in the tens of billions and the hundreds of billions? So we need to understand the, the magnitude of the market that the company, um, you know, is going after. And then the third thing I would say is product or, or um, engineering. Uh, and basically what that just boils down to how much better is this product than existing products that are out there mm. and, and uh, you know, competing for the same budget because the reality is, even if, if I'm using something today and it works, um, if you bring me something that's only two times better, I may not care to switch because I already have something that that works. Yeah. And I, you know, there's a there's a you know there's a switching cost to anything that I do. So any any startup has to build a product that is just so much better than you know what you're currently doing that it's worth it to uh, pay the switching cost um, of moving from. Mm. Your your current tool to to this new tool that this uh, startup is pitching you. So uh, the product is something that we care a lot about, and it's you know it's how does the product compare to um, incumbent solutions that are in the market today, but also you know how does the product compare to even other startups that are being formed at the same time? Because in today's world where anybody can start a technology company, the tools are, wi are widely available. Yeah. Um, oftentimes there's there's Oftentimes, there's more than one company starting the same, you know, trying to build the same type of product. I, I, and I, you know, I'm a little bit sorry to say. I, I guess it depends a little bit on the on the space you're in. Mm. But you know, I, I'm sorry to say. I think if you're an entrepreneur, you should you should assume that there's somebody just as smart, just as hungry as you are, building yeah. the exact same company. 
because I'll tell you, I'm always shocked when I when I come across one company and I do a little bit of research and there's like three other companies, you know, with you know, great teams also also building this, this the same type of product. So so yeah. I you know we need to understand the the the, the product landscape. Um, I say these are the three core things. Uh, there's definitely other like secondary considerations, like you know how is the company going to market? Um, mm. you know, what are their competitive advantages? You know, does this team have a unique insight? Uh, timing is another uh, timing big is one. a pretty a pretty critical one. Uh, but you know, if, if you don't have a big enough market and your product is not differentiated, then I you know I'm not even going to bother to think about it. it, uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> at that at that point in time. So for me, I would say I I I screen deals based on the team and and the mm. product that the companies build and the market. And then if those check out, then you know start to think about some of these other uh, secondary factors. And on, on the timing point. Um, you know, we, we discussed this a little bit previously, but, you know, timing is so, so critical. I mean, if yeah. you're building a company that uh, helps people do remote work right now, like this is, there's been no better time, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So if you're building something in telemedicine, there's no better time yeah. to do that. If you're building something in e-commerce, there's no better time to do it. So uh, timing, time is a very critical one that people, that um, entrepreneurs, you know, have to harness to the advantage because it's kind of like, it's kind of like rocket fuel, right? Suddenly, People are just demanding what you have when they were not, you know, previously, you know, doing that before. And um, you know, I'm really excited to act to see how entrepreneurs will build new products that take advantage of how uh, COVID-19 has changed the way we work and the way we, you know, socialize and, and the way we, um, you know, and the way we also consume what we consume as consumers. And there's been so many examples. I mean, I read something recently about how a lot of the telecom companies uh, were reporting that. The, the 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 call time like the amount of time people spend on calls is through the roof like it's wow. it's, it's you know even something <laughs> as basic as as phone calls you know that there's there's increased demand for that because now people wow. are stuck at home and they can't you know they don't have all the other things that have been you know distracting them so I think for entrepreneurs in every category look there's going to be winners and losers but hmm. you have to kind of use or harness this time to your advantage. You know, and I think it's powerful what you're saying to it and you kind of giving the landscape of how you as a VCI, a company, you know, and shout out to anyone who's looking to get into private equity or tech. I mean, you just hear to heard it here first on how do you think about building your company? If you're looking to raise capital, I mean, I think having this perspective is invaluable. So let me let us know if you're trying to build a company right now, if you're looking to build a company, make a comment. We'll show you some love and shout out to Michael, who's who's viewing from Michigan, New York and Seattle. That's wild. <laughs> He's viewing from three state from three, three places. That's awesome, Michael. So, you know, Demi, let me ask you, because I think, you know, we're. It's now in discussion that we might be going to an economic downturn or recession. And one of the things that we, we were talking about um, in, in prior is, you know, this idea of building a recession proof company. Right. You know, what are some of the industries that you think are recession proof? And I know one of them that, that we should uh, interest in is in SaaS. I believe SaaS is a recession proof type of industry. Right. Especially if you have the right product and it can scale. But I would love to get your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when it comes to SaaS, it really does depend on the on the company that you are, um, and basically, you know, you we 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 think about this the secondary impacts, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in general, as a SaaS company, you're you're less affected because you're not you know you're not necessarily a transportation company, and people are no longer using scooters or you know taking these car rides. Uh, you know, you're not necessarily a travel company where suddenly your all your business is gone overnight. But if you're selling if you're selling your software. 
to travel companies or to transportation companies or mm. to um, any or, you know cons- or you know restaurants which are obviously impacted by the the current environment, then you know you will all, your business will will be affected because your end customers are being uh, affected. So you know when it comes to SaaS, it really you know you mm. you have to be selling to categories that are not you know going to be affected by uh, something like COVID. Otherwise, some part of your business will suffer. Uh, and then I think even more broadly, even if you don't sell to travel or hospitality or, or entertainment or anything like that, uh, the fact of the matter is that your, you know, your, your customer base is also worried about just an economic mm-hmm. downturn. And so they're not going to be spending willy-nilly on any solution anymore. Everybody's looking at their software spend. They're looking at their headcount and they're thinking about, you know, where can we make, you know, cuts this year? So that we so that we don't overspend or you know overextend ourselves, uh, you know when it comes to cash. So, you know I think SaaS SaaS is more recession proof than than certain other you know categories. But even within SaaS, they're definitely winners and losers. And mm-hmm. um, you know everybody is definitely you know tightening the belts. So no one yeah. is I, no one is no one is, no one is going to escape this unscathed. Everyone's going to have a, a scar. <laughs> Right, except, uh, unless you're uh, already like a Salesforce or a Microsoft and a, an Amazon who are like they're they're still they're still pretty good. Yeah, I think you know you know even just looking at SaaS, you know, because for the companies that we work with, all of those companies are, are planning hyper growth, you know, years. So yeah. even if you know you're they'll they'll still grow, but they, they're not going to grow as much as they had originally predicted. Uh, so everybody's going to have some type of impact. You're going to have to pare back your expectations for the year, mm-hmm. or if, if if you're unfortunate, you might actually, you know, you know, even sell below what you sold in the in the prior year. So everyone's going to have some type of uh, impact to their business. I mean, even Google. I mean, Google mentioned on their earnings report that you know there wasn't as much demand for ads nice. um, as as there were previously. Facebook said a similar thing. More, there's more people on Facebook, so there's more eyeballs. But there's no ads to, to, to show those people, so no money, you know, coming through the door for for someone like Facebook, right? Uh, so every, everyone's going to be impacted in, in some way, you know, shape or form. Um, I mean, there are of course like you know beneficiaries like Zoom and Slack. If, if your business is pure play, you know, remote collaboration or or you know a pure play product that that benefits from uh, remote work, then or or just the nature of living and working remotely, then you might you know your pro- you have you have good problems. You have problems everybody would like to have, like <laughs> yeah. you know, like like scale. How do we scale up to you know ten x yeah. or twenty x more users than before? Uh, but I think for everybody else, that you know this is this will leave some some kind of scar tissue. That's um, huge. That's powerful. You know, shout out to Michael who's saying who's saying, man, he's loving what you're 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 mentioning, Demi. You know, I, I you know, for you, you, you we were talking about how like you know actively as an investor, you're always looking at you know what are the next emerging companies, and I love how you mentioned that you think that a lot of the companies who are in that remote work or even just like online learning because those are some emerging industries right now that are booming. You know what you know for you is an industry that you're really excited about. Right, and that you're eyeing because you 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 work across enterprise tech, consumer tech, and and healthcare, right? So, what yeah. are some industries that you're really excited about in a post COVID nineteen future? Yeah, honestly, there's there's, there's several. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I can I'll share a little bit about the remote uh, work side or remote collaboration side, just because I think that category is definitely having a moment. Uh, you know, I, I I would say like when it comes to remote collaboration, let's say just say the, the three foremost tools. Are Zoom, Slack, and Microsoft Teams. 
um, and you know all the other kind of knockoffs of, the, of these products. Uh, but you know those products are now built for a post-COVID world. They were built pre-COVID, wow. and you know they they had success. They had success because yes, there was a trend. You know when it comes to uh, video collaboration, like video communication, there was a trend when it comes to text communication. Um, but you know they're they're really having a moment right now, right? Because everybody needs to you know communicate remotely, and so people that previously would not use uh, the product are now forced to to actually get on it. Uh, but like I mentioned in my first statement, you know, these products are built pre-COVID. They were built yeah. from a world where they're assuming that you're working in your office and yeah. using their product. And, you know, <laughs> I shared a little bit about Zoom where, you know, you launch Zoom and, and it takes up, you know, it takes up your entire screen. And that's fine if I'm in a conference room in my office and we have a screen up front and everybody has their laptop so you can still, you know, do, all, you can still like take notes in a meeting or like whatever the case might be or look something up that's not fine when I'm working from home and, um, you know, I need to take notes and zoom is taking up my entire screen. Like yeah. now I'm forced like manually split up my screen into different halves so I can look at the person, you know, on one half and then, you know, take notes on the other half. It just doesn't, it's not architected for a world where you're working primarily from home. Um, so I think, you know, the second generation of like the, like the, the post, another way to say it is like if zoom were to have been founded post COVID, yeah. versus pre-COVID, it would be entirely, it would be an entirely different product, product because yeah. they will think about a world where most people are working, you know, from home and architect yeah. towards that. Uh, so I'm excited about that second generation of tools that that looks at the world through the lens of majority of people working from home and how do we build, you know, for that uh, group of people. And there's been a couple of tools that I've announced uh, recently, such as Around Dubco, which is, it's a video conferencing tool, but then mm. it's it's one that's cognizant of the fact that you're working from home, and so it's designed in a way that allows you to collaborate, or or um, yeah, to collaborate with while you're doing that. So it doesn't eat up your entire screen. It, it you know it makes sure that the camera is always focused on your face because you know, I mean in your in your office right you you have a you have a setup and you have the camera stationary and you can see the entire room. When it comes to when it comes to you know my laptop. You know, I might I might move a couple of degrees here and there, and like you, know, you, you might see you might see half of my face this time, and you know the other half the other time. So uh, around, make sure that it's always focused on your on your face, for example. So I just those little things, you know, do make yeah. uh, a difference. Um, and then you know, I'm also excited about about communications infrastructure, mm. and it's a space that I've I've looked at before, and uh, you know, there, it's I think it's interesting because. I, like I was very surprised when I learned this, but you know, even this video stream that we're having is very, very difficult to build. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to if you've ever done a call with somebody who lives in a different country, um, you know, the, the the technology that that goes into that uh, communication process is very complicated to build. Same thing mm-hmm. for you know for uh, for yeah, voice calls, video calls, you know, whatever the case might be, and um, and it, and it's it's. It's also complicated depending on you know the browser you're using. So different browsers, browser always getting updated. You have to keep track of all these different updates. Like there's so many layers of complexity to communications. And so typically, what you'll find is that um, you know platforms like the one that we're using for this video call uh, will typically not actually build their own video infrastructure. They will wow. call the API of a company that specializes in that in video infrastructure. Uh, same thing for any telemedicine platform. I was I was researching telemedicine at one point, and I was surprised to learn 
that a lot of these telemedicine companies actually use someone else's video technology <laughs> to, not their own to, to conduct to conduct the video calls I, I was my mind was actually blown because it's like oh wait like all of you are just being powered by you know four companies uh yeah. basically that are out there um you know and I, you know similar things with you know online learning you know, or school look at schools yeah. today they're not going to build their own you know, video platform they're just saying hey let's sign up for zoom and get <laughs> students back in you know back in school so you know communications infrastructure is is hard and if it's not your specialty then there's no point of you focusing on that you should go focus on what you do best whether that's mm. telemedicine whether that's education whether that's hosting uh, a platform like this and so from my perspective you know those the, the rising tide of remote work, the rising tide of increased communication is going to be, it's going to, it's going to lift the boats of all of these communications infrastructure companies. So Twilio, for example, is probably the biggest one that people are familiar with. Uh, but there's also companies like TalkBox um, out there that also provide these APIs that enable video calls uh, to, or even phone calls to, to take place. So I, I'm, I'm excited about that category because I know that as an investor, oftentimes you have to try and pick, you know, the best company in the category. Um, and if you think about telemedicine, it's going to be, there's so many telemedicine platforms out there. It's, it's more challenging to find the needle in a haystack that will, that will dominate, uh, versus in the communication infrastructure world, there's not as many players. And regardless, this is a rising tide that's going to lift everyone's boat. So, um, I'm pretty excited about, about that particular, uh, you know, space as more and more people need to use videos and it won't be on just things like telemedicine and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, if you imagine, let's say, you know, let's say you and I, we, we build an application, you know, let's say, you know, let's say it's an application that, you know, lets people, um, like, lets people like, you know, do a podcast or, or do some of these kind of live, live conversations. Uh, you know, we might, we might want to add a, a function where, uh, you know, one of our audience can actually jump into the video and ask us a question. Right. Mm. So. We're not going to build our own uh, infrastructure to do that. We're just going to we're going to implement something from one of these communication products. Uh, maybe a better example is, is if let's say you're using um, let's say you're using your email tool, right? Let's say let's say you don't let's say you use something like not Gmail, maybe maybe Hotmail or Yahoo Mail or, or some just like not very popular email provider. Let's say that email provider now wants to add a way for uh, people to do video calls inside of their application. Uh, you know they can they can just tap one of these um, you know communication APIs to do so. So my point is that even if you know telemedicine, online classes like those are natural video use cases. Like the, the you're you're going to be on video if you're in a telemedicine conversation or in an online class. But there's another group of applications where you're not always going to be in video, but you might want to be in certain moments. And so those applications i think will also create more demand for this communication infrastructure um that these third-party companies provide so i i think i think it, it could be a potential gold mine um mm. so we'll hopefully see and you know hopefully we'll see how that thesis plays out over time yeah no i, I you know I, and i feel as if what's so shout to christina who's saying build ip and then buy commodity that is true that is a great move mm -hmm. and but i think what's so fascinating about what you're saying is the fact that Right now, if you're building a company focused on infrastructure and can be just integrating to can, like other companies can plug in, this is your moment, especially in the in the synchronous or even asynchronous communication space. Right. And Twilio is a company that I've always been fascinated by. 
uh, and you know they even do text APIs, right? So for people right. who want to <laughs> who want to message, so they have all kinds of APIs. And I think what's so interesting for us because with Guy, we're, we're kind of building our own uh, own technology, but long term we want to we want to have APIs that you know people can pull from, but also API integrations that we can integrate into on different platforms. And I think like what what's so powerful is that the company that's thinking about being open source. And how do we kind of like share the abundance or how do we kind of mm-hmm. have people find us or integrate into us are going to be the companies that are really successful in the long run. It's not really like closed circuit companies. And I would love to get your thoughts on that, man. Yeah, I think open source is really interesting. Um, and it's, it's not one that I spend a lot of my time in. And I think they're definitely different models. Um, and it, it's I would say like. I'm seeing. I'm definitely seeing a little bit of activity in that space, though. So there's a company that I came across yesterday, and uh, you know, because because of COVID and people having to work from home, they are actually uh, open sourcing their technology so that more people wow. can um, you know use it to build better machine learning models. Um, so you know, I think open source it's it's a it can be a two-edged sword, and I think people definitely. Um, you know, they manipulate it a little bit and use it to their benefit because if I'm giving you, the reason I'm giving, I'm giving you my product, you know, as an open source tool is to entice you, right? It's almost like a freemium. Like you come in, you try it a little bit and then, you know, if, but if you want to do anything extra, then you have to, you know, pay me for a more commercial version of that, um, of that product. Yeah. So I, look, I, I think open source is great. Um, I think, and especially if you're in the developer world, I mean, that world is even like open source first because everybody's yeah. technical. Everybody wants to see, you know, what is behind the hood before they, you know, before they actually, um, you know, adopt it fully. So in, in, in the developer world, you almost have no choice but to go open source. And, and that's just the ethos. I mean, if you're a developer building a product, you wouldn't even think twice. Oftentimes, you know, when I'm in conversations with developers, they want to build something open source and we're telling them, no, no, don't, don't, don't open source it. Let's, let's keep it closed. Yes. <laughs> So you can monetize it more easily because open source is a bit more challenging to monetize because um, yeah. if you if you don't draw the lines uh, you know well enough then you might be giving away too much and you will not be able yeah. to commercialize. Um, so and I think you know when it comes to open source, there's I talked a little about communication APIs. So the dirty secret of the communication API world uh, is that a lot of those companies are built on an open source project. <laughs> so. <laughs> So they, they, you know, there's, there's, there's so many layers to this thing. So just to, just to mm-hmm. help people visualize it, you have a telemedicine company that's built on top of a communication API that's built on top of an open source uh, project. And wow. you need those communication APIs because the open source project is too hard for most people to just, it's, it's raw. Like it's yeah. like, it's like, it's like a brick, right? If you can't just, if you, you, you want a house, but you're getting a brick. So you need somebody <laughs> to actually build the house for you. And then you can then you can live in the house and do your you know your video conversations. Yeah. Um, so I, I think open source is open source is exciting, and uh, you know depending on it, it depends depending on the motives of the people that develop the project. There's still opportunity for uh, people to come in in between and mm. make commercial versions of that product, uh, or if it's a if it's a if it's a product where you know the goal from the get go is to commercialize it, then that one company will both manage the open source version. And the commercialized version, um, and you know, to even extend the idea of open source a bit further, it, it goes beyond technical topics. I think a lot of mm. people today are open sourcing. How does our company, you know, work remotely? What is our technology yeah. stack uh, for remote work? What what are our playbooks, you know, for for working remotely? Um, you know, so I think the business world is also trying to find ways 
of open sourcing, you know, some of its best practices. A really, really good example is Atlassian. So Atlassian is a is a company that that builds collaboration tools uh, for product teams, for development teams. Um, they also own Trello, which is a popular like, Kanban board for product management. And they actually they do a lot of acquisitions. Um, you know, they're pretty they're pretty acquisitive. So they they open sourced like their M and A uh, you know process their wow. process because they want it, they want because oftentimes like if a license is acquiring a company the license is typically massive compared to that company and so there's there's they have much more leverage uh in that conversation but that's just not the culture that they have internally and so they want to be open book in terms of you know their process and their standard you know merger agreements and so on and so forth um in venture i mean we've, we've had the kiss agreement for a very long time uh, Kiss means keep it simple, stupid. Um, because in an early, in a very early stage deal where a company is just getting off the ground, it doesn't make sense to you know pay expensive lawyers you know for hours and hours of work. You actually you want a very simple agreement where uh, that's not going to be costly. So you you know you start we started off having the Kiss um, back in 2014, 2015. Then you, then then Y Combinator Kiss was started by founded startups. Then you had Y Combinator come up with the safe. Um, agreement. So, hmm. um, and then some lawyers have also done various various other types of open source legal agreements for consummating um, early stage venture capital deals. So, uh, you know, there there have been various examples of open source as well on the business in the business world uh, too. Yeah, no, no, it's 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 powerful. I love how you said you know everything's being open open source. Like mergers, acquisition reports. I mean, and, and I think the it's a it's a I think it's a right now we're seeing a return back to simplicity um, from many tech companies, right? And, and even with the company you mentioned, in a way, like they're thinking about what does a you know what does a product look like in a post COVID nineteen world based on simplicity. The value of open source is how do we simplify but still be accessible at the same time? And you know, mm-hmm. I, I I think you know what I love, and I would love to get our amazing community's thoughts on this. Make sure to show some love in the in the comments if you have any thoughts or any questions for Demi, please. You know, it, when you when you think about um, you know how private equity has been affected um, by COVID, you know, what are your some thought? What are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, in terms of you know, in terms of the industry, I, I think you know I can speak on on the venture capital side where you know we we're working with you know small companies and you know small meaning. Some some of those companies could be generating single digit revenues. Some of them could be generating tens of millions. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know they're not they're not like a you know, like a publicly traded company or a mature company just yet. Uh, you know, and I'll say like on on our end, you know, when when COVID first struck, um, you know, the first the first thing to do and the natural inclination is to is to check on on our portfolio companies. Yeah. Uh, in that sense, you're like you're like a mother hen, and then you have all these all these <laughs> all these chicks, right? And then you're like, okay, well, we need to make sure that our our portfolio companies are fine. So you actually find a lot of people maybe for the first two, three, four weeks, are you know focusing on their portfolio companies because you know some portfolio companies um, may have been planning to raise capital uh, in the coming months. So how do you capitalize them? Uh, you know, probably between the existing investors, because this is not a time where a lot of new investors would be writing uh, checks. Um, you might have uh, high portfolio companies that were midstream in a fundraising process. So how how do you ensure that you, you get that process you know, to a close? Hmm. Um, you have some portfolio companies that you know were further along in fundraising, they had term sheets, but term sheets are getting pulled, 
or investors are saying, actually, we valued your company at 100 million, but now it's going to be 70 or 60 because yeah. the economic environment has changed. So, you know, I mean, there's just, there's just, um, there's so many scenarios of what could have happened in someone's portfolio. So the first thing is just to take care of the portfolio, make sure portfolio companies are, you know, doing well and will be in a strong position to weather the storm. Because if, if they can't weather the storm, then that's going to have an impact on uh, portfolio performance for, for venture capitalists. And then, you know, once, once, and that was also challenging because suddenly, you, you know, you have the government making many uh, important moves. So the government announced yeah. uh, the PPP loans and like the, you know, and, and other, other small business loans. And so there's, you know, those are, those are new regulations. No one has seen, there's been no precedents before. And so, you know, venture capitalists, companies, lawyers, um, outsourced CFO and accounting firms are all working together to figure out. You know, what does this mean for you know for mm. my portfolio companies? Which portfolio companies are eligible? Which ones are not eligible? Um, you know, tri just triaging the entire information flow that's um, that's coming through. So, you know, the first thing was really just you know figuring out the portfolio and figuring out okay, you know, how do we capitalize these companies to make sure they're okay? Uh, I think now you're definitely starting to. And I, I, I'm going to call out my my colleagues in the industry because <laughs> basically, you know, you have this scenario where uh, you know where COVID struck, and you know the question from a lot of startups then is, are venture capitalists still investing capital? Mm. Everybody, you know, everybody's asking, and you know every venture capitalist is saying, we're yes, we're open for business. Yes, we're open for business. But you know, I think I think many of us realize that that is just not the case. Yeah. Uh, especially depending on where your portfolio companies are uh, in their fundraising cycle, um, you know where your fund where, where your fund is in its fund life cycle as well. You know, I think we were fortunate where a lot of our portfolio companies had already raised capital in Q4 or earlier in Q1, and so we didn't have so much. Uh, we weren't so worried about the cash runway of our portfolio um, more than uh, we're worried about. Okay, what does this mean for your 2020 plan? Uh, you know, so to speak, how much are you going to hit in 2020, just given the economic environment? So waiting to tighten the belt a little bit. Um, so, you know, just kind of given even our understanding of what's going on in the environment, we, you know, we, we realize that a lot of people are saying they're open for business, but that that is just not the case because <laughs> people, you know, people have so much to do in terms of their portfolio. Yeah. And I, I think the second part of that is once you actually, once you actually finish your portfolio triage, once you've reset your 2020 plans with all of your portfolio companies uh, that now now you have a little bit more time you're you're considering new investments but will you actually pull the trigger that's a totally different question um on you know the, mm. you know so you you might be open for a business you're done with your portfolio but there's just uncertainty uh in the market and you know are you are you going to be able to go before your investment committee and say i want to invest in this business at this particular point in time and i believe this is what is going to happen when I mean, if you're being honest, nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, so, so there's just it's it's a it's it's more challenging now to make an investment because you know you have to convince others, and you know it's hard to do that if you're not sure yourself. Uh, you know what's going to happen in the market, and I think some some of that is is being borne out in the data already, where you're seeing the total number of dollars uh, invested, you know, declining from the prior year and from the prior quarters. You're seeing the number of deals that are being done also declining. Uh, from from the prior year and prior quarter, so you know the the the, the venture capital market tends to react very quickly uh, mm. to these kinds of changes uh, in the public market or in the economic environment because um, you know we have to be you know we can't ignore what's going on in the broader world and we also have to be yeah. worried about you know our capital whether it will be preserved uh, you know as as with everything there are exceptions I mean some 
some of the largest companies, uh, you know, well, I'd say there are exceptions in the sense that because of the environment, you know, companies that raised capital before COVID are starting to feel a little bit less comfortable, you know, mm. even with the capital that they have. So you are seeing some companies re-engage with venture capitalists that were interested in their you know, rounds previously. Maybe those venture capitalists could not get into those rounds. And now, you know, there's there's a catalyst where, hey, you might want to take on a few million more bucks just to yeah. make yourself feel just to make just to make sure you don't feel you know too much heat. Uh, mm. you know, depending on how long COVID some lasts. cushion. So yeah, exactly. So you know, you have a world where some people some people cannot raise capital at all. You have a world where some people who already raised capital are able to take on a little bit more capital, you mm. know, if they're if they're younger. And then you have a world where you know the the, the names that everybody knows, like Stripe, for example, they would raise hundreds of millions of dollars because uh, you know there, there's still a lot of opportunity ahead of those companies. Um, there's a catalyst in the sense that the economic environment is not so friendly. So if you had an IPO plan, you might uh, that might have been pushed out now by two years or three years. Uh, Airbnb raised a billion dollars as well because I mean they were supposed to go public, in debt this year in debt, right? But now. Yeah, in, in, in debt and convertibles and, and you know different kinds of securities. So you have a world where the the marquee names are able to raise um, you know large amounts of capital because uh, you know people are still interested in getting into those companies and this is an opportunity to do so you know at a reduced price than before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's fascinating, man. How you know the, the cycle, right? That and the and the ripple effect that COVID nineteen has created. And I even love how you, how you mentioned that. You know, for you, you just have to react and say, okay, how do we take care of our portfolio companies? You know, and shout out to everyone that's tuning in. You know, I, I want to you know kind of uh, ask you, you know, what you know, what would you because I'm seeing companies like Airbnb, Facebook, and all of them are adapting their product for this new world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, for, for any entrepreneur right now that's building a business, you know, what do you, what are two to three things that you would encourage them to look out for if they want to be successful in building a venture post COVID-19? Yeah, I think, you know, as with everything, you have to, there's, there's this quote that's been going around, you know, never waste a good crisis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there, if there's a, if there's a crisis at hand, then, and then, then there's opportunity, you know, and mm. certain opportunities are opening up. Other ones are, are, you know, are, are, are closing off. So, you know, for me, I, I would encourage entrepreneurs to, you need to absorb the crisis. I mean, some people are going through something that, you know, they're going through layoffs. Yeah. And that's something that you just you never want to go through. You never want to have to do It's, it's never easy. Um, so I think you have to absorb the fact that, you know, there is a situation going on. You have to try and take care of your, of your existing customers. You have to try and take care of your, mm-hmm. of your employees as much as you can as well. And I think once you're, once you resurface from that, from that process, um, you have to think about what are the opportunities that are, you know, opened up from my particular business, um, as a result of COVID, you mentioned Airbnb, there was actually a call on LinkedIn where Brian Chesky was talking live about, you know, how Airbnb adapted to COVID-19. And, you know, you talked about how people were demand, you know, people, those, those, there was a sudden demand for longer term stays. Wow. And, you know, that's because people are saying, you know, if I have to charge a place, why do I have to stay in Oakland or Houston? Why can't I just go to Miami or, <laughs> or, yeah. or go to always <laughs> wanted to go to? And you know, no one knows how long COVID nineteen will last, so people are not going there for a week or two. They're going there for you know an entire month or or longer at a time. Um, so I think every every company has to look at its business and see, you know, and ask how can how can they potentially capture 
uh, the benefit of COVID-19. I mean, we've seen companies, for example, in the financial planning, or we've, we've been speaking to a lot of accounting and CFO firms recently. And, you know, they've talked about, you know, how all these small businesses need help with like the PPP loans and with the, uh, you know, small business loans. And, you know, they, you know, they set up all these campaigns or banners on their website saying, hey, you know, we can help you actually get access to those loans or fill out the paperwork to get access to those loans. And, you know, when they have, you know, so, so customers are coming in for, you know, the PPP loans or SMB loans or whatever the case might be, but then they can also sell them on their entire suite of CFO services that they, you know, that they provide. Um, so I think each company needs to look at its business and and try and find ways that it can um, that it can benefit. And the ways are the ways going to be different for you know for every single company that's out there. So I'm trying to think of other examples. I know Shopify just released a new product where yep. people can a new Shop, app right? where yeah. customers can yeah can buy can buy products on 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 from Shopify through the app and. You know, this is the best time because everybody's stuck at home and all they have is, you know, is their, their you know, they're looking for ways to entertain themselves. I mean, I, I, you know, if I if I may, I would say this might be a great time to start a new social network because everybody's <laughs> stuck at home. <laughs> everybody's stuck at home and they need a way to, uh, they're looking for different ways to socialize. So yeah. uh, I think everyone, everyone needs to look at their businesses and, and figure out, okay, are there opportunities for me to take advantage, um, you know, of this, of this scenario? I think... You know, LinkedIn, for example, I, I didn't really know LinkedIn did video conversations with uh, with people like, you know, Brancesco with any yeah. uh, influencers. So that's a new way that LinkedIn is, is adapting its own business to, you know, to to the times. And when I saw I was like, oh, Brancesco is live. Let me I mean, I wasn't planning to I, I didn't come to LinkedIn, LinkedIn to to spend time with Brancesco. But yeah. live, so I was like, oh, let me at least hear what you're saying for a couple of minutes. Uh, so I think everyone, everyone needs to find ways that they can adapt. Um, or take advantage of COVID because you know I I I I think of it as it's it's a wave and you know you got to surfboard and you got to you know, ride the wave you know ride somehow, the wave however, right. however you can remote work remote learning whatever it is ride the wave so you know and I, I love how you said that never waste a good crisis because I think even in the cri- crisis it's a it's a constraint for possibility right and you know and I think that's a that's a that's that's key to having an entrepreneurial mindset you know Debbie, thank you so much for being on the unleashing the future work a guide podcast you know if you know you had any parting words for our amazing community what would it be man yeah, you know, I think I think it's an opportunity. I think a lot of people in the in the audience are entrepreneurs uh, yeah. or, or you know thinking about making entrepreneurial moves. I, I would say this is a you know again never waste a good crisis. This is a yeah. time where the world is changing significantly, and you know there is going to be some way that you can take advantage of that change, either mm-hmm. in a business you're you're currently working on or, or in a business that you want to start. And, you know, there are suddenly these new tailwinds. There's this, there's this COVID is a catalyst for, you know, for businesses like, and so, you know, this is an opportunity to take advantage of that and adapt and create a business that can take, you know, that can take advantage of the new consumer behaviors. I've seen some venture capitalists write about uh, ways that they expect consumer behavior to change following COVID. I think I was joking with Tim yesterday that, you know, just because COVID hit doesn't mean we're not going to have new restaurants. There, there will be new restaurants. <laughs> They'll just look a little bit are, different. <laughs> they're going to look a lot different than, yeah. you know, than the ones that we had before COVID. So if you're an entrepreneur out there, I would re, I would try to reimagine, you know, how, how will COVID change your particular industry? Mm-hmm. And that is going to create demand for, you know, addition, for certain 
you know, for, for new types of products that the industry previously you know, had no need for, but now it does because you know there's a there's a chance that something like COVID could happen again. You know, I was I was saying previously to someone that even for myself as an investor, you know, from now on till I forget about COVID, I'm always going to ask myself, well, how is this business going to be impacted by, you know, by a potential pandemic? Even if another <laughs> pandemic doesn't happen again, yeah, I will still ask myself, how will this business that I'm trying to invest in be impacted by the pandemic? So. It's a time for industries uh, to be to be completely reimagined uh, mm-hmm. from the ground up. It's a time for you know entirely new ideas as well uh, to to arise and to take advantage of how people will be working differently in the future. People will be um, you know people will be kind of consuming products differently or consuming goods differently in the future as well. So there's there's you know there's never been a better time. I think uh, before COVID, you might have been asking yourself what shall i start what idea shall i start and you can't you can't really decide but i think now you know there's there's a bit more constraints on your idea universe and i think yeah. it's it's a great opportunity to just take advantage of that and, and go for it it's time to build something y'all michael andre eric dami lola <laughs> Ronald. it's time to build something if you have it in mind you know and with that said for any of you all who are interested in connecting with demi make sure you connect with him on linkedin where else can the people find you demi yeah i'm on linkedin just uh drop me a note and just let me know you are you know you are on on the podcast listing and you know definitely accept um i uh, you can also reach me on twitter i my my handle is at demi underscore obayomi o-b-a-y-o-m-i um and yeah looking forward to to staying in touch with the community looking forward to uh you know keep on being a part of the community and i, I hope i'll be back again sometime maybe, maybe uh, uh, sometime after covid has cycled through we can talk about okay what is the world what is it actually looking like we would love it man we would love that we should definitely have you on for another episode and shout out to everyone who has been commenting someone mentioned service now's service now's earning reports yesterday was extremely interesting work from home remote school etc SaaS solutions will have long-term play post-pandemic true that and with that said if you're interested make sure you go ahead and connect with demi and if you're interested in getting into tech check out the breakintobigtech.com course that i'm working on with my good friend john marty and more importantly go build something this is the time for you to build as demi says and more importantly have the confidence and understand that within constraints there are opportunities and possibilities thank you so much unleashing the future of work community if you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the unleashing the future of work a guy podcast check out utfow.com utfow.com with that said thank you for tuning in i will talk to you soon peace love and bye-bye. <laughs> all right. Thank you all. Thanks, team.